Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahiri, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that that this will bless you. Inside the uh, program's an outline and the, the scripture there, or you can turn in your Bibles or on a device to Hebrews 4. Hebrews is in the New Testament near the back after all of the letters written by Paul. And we are going through this uh, letter, uh, this anonymously written letter, uh, section by section. And we did verses 1 through 13 uh, last week, but we're zooming in and focusing on verses 11 through 13 this week. Very, it's all important, but uh, this section needed some extra attention for our, our hearts and our lives. Um, hiding, hiding can feel like fun. Uh, you know, you're hiding a fun secret from somebody, a surprise party coming up or something like that. Hiding, hiding can feel fun. Uh, young kids like to hide. I play hide and go seek from, from some, with some little kids that we watch. It's fun. Uh, I love playing hide and go seek in my family backyard gr- growing up. Did you guys play hide and go seek? I hope you did. Uh, it, 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 we had this amazing backyard. We lived on the edge. It was the edge of Spokane at the time. Uh, and Five Mile Prairie was behind us, which was mostly all farms. And, and literally the, the cliffs of Five Mile Prairie right behind our back fence went straight up. But in our, our yard was part of those rock formations. So we had a giant rock formation and giant pine trees and, and uh, 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 concrete basketball court and a fort that we built and you know it was it was just a fun place to play hide and go seek right um, and and uh you know so in hide and go seek if you haven't played for a while the 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 thing is that uh if you haven't give it a try it's fun get a little some little kids or old folks i'm not going to judge you uh but the better the hiding place when I was a kid, the better the hiding place, you're hiding out and nobody's finding you. It seemed like the louder and harder my heart would be. I don't know if you remember that at all, uh, right? You're hiding out, nobody's finding you. You can start to hear your breathing, uh, your heart's beating, and you're wondering, are they going to hear this? Or maybe that was just me. But, because you're there and you're wondering, am I going to be found out, right? Uh, I was always eventually found. I'm not still hiding um, in that way. But there is this, my point is, there's this effort in hiding. And, and it's, it's, it's not really restful, even in hide-and-go-seek, right? You're there, and you're, you're nervous. It's excitement, it's a game, right? Uh, and I get that. But there's a, a nervousness to it, and, and anxiety. So when it's, when it's life, right, and it's not a backyard game, that hiding particularly hiding when we think we've got a clever spot that somehow the God of the universe can't see, which is ridiculous, but we do it, right? When we think we humans are being particularly clever, right? We haven't left clues maybe for other people to find, and we're just kind of pushing out of our mind that God can see our our bad behavior, bad attitude, bad words, whatever it is, right? We think we have this place or this time. No one's looking. I'm just in my car alone, right? Or it's my taxes, it's nobody else's business if I cheat on them. Government's not going to find out. Hiding in life can trick us into thinking we are safe in our hiding. 
And sometimes, and the Hebrews is, is bringing hiding up, saying that some of you are hiding out in the version of religion that you're trying to slide into or that you're sliding back into. You're trying to have a religion that keeps you just as you are, but really you're trying to create a hiding place that, that it doesn't really work, right? So we played a version of hide-and-go-seek. I think this is the main version. I, I didn't look up the history of hide-and-go-seek, but uh, hide-and-go-seek where you had to, at a certain point, get up out of your hiding spot, right? Decide when you're going to get, or you were seen, and you had to bolt for home base. Did you play that version? Okay. And you had to bolt for home base. If you got touched or tagged before you got to, to home base, you're, you're, you're in prison, whatever, jail. But if you got to home base before you were tagged, right, you won. You got to home base, and you could actually rest, put your hands on your knees, you just sprinted, but then you won the game, and you get to be the seeker, right? You won. Now, to get to that place of rest, that place of rest where the change actually happens, to that set-apart space in this metaphor, you had to strive. You had to run. You had to leave the fake comfort of your hiding place, the false safety of your hideout, and dash as fast as you could to home. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you alone are truly our rock and our redeemer, our author and our perfecter. You are our maker and you are our home. In you we find true rest. So you alone should we rightly fear and revere. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. You alone should we seek after. Give us ears to hear, Lord, each one of us. And I ask that you, by your Holy Spirit right now, would help people to be tuning out distractions, tuning into you, praying for themselves, praying for each other, praying for me and other preachers here and around the world, that we would rightly declare your good news, that rest is found in you. May we have hearts that rejoice at your truth, your word today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand, if you're able, for the reading of the word from Hebrews chapter 4 to honor God's word. We'll stand, if able. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I'll be reading from the ESV. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> so we cannot hide from God, right? I mean, it's a basic logical point. You want to debate me later, feel free, but, but I think you'd lose on this one. Yeah, I mean, if, God, if there is a God and God is all-knowing, you know, uh, he's, he's God Almighty, you can't hide from God. But Hebrews is really teaching us more than that simple, straightforward point. 
right? Hebrews, the, the, the author is saying, we should not want to try to hide from God. And there's something about our, our broken human nature that wants to try to hide from God. And, and we see that in, in different scripture stories, right? But we see this in the reality where, where we, as human beings, we feel pulled into living as if God doesn't see us. That is a human temptation, right? The deep, the deep saintly people are people who, who pursue Christ so much that they are daily living as if he sees them and hears them and knows them and even talks with them, listens to them. But, but as we're on that journey of trying to draw closer to Christ and admit his ever-present reality, the Spirit's ever-present reality, we are tempted with pretending or hiding from his, his all-seeing eye, right? Now, one version that's, we could say, outside of Christianity, and it's easy for us to throw rocks at, is the atheist who, who claims, you know, God doesn't exist or something, right? But, but Hebrews is not written to the atheist. Hebrews is written to the, the follower of Jesus Christ who is kind of trying to have their cake and eat it too, trying to have Jesus but not really follow him or be like him or take him too serious anymore. And so a Christian version of hiding is saying you follow Jesus, but acting in ways that Jesus doesn't teach, doesn't demonstrate. You know, acting in unloving ways towards the outsider when Jesus said you have to love your neighbor and your enemy, right? And, and, and pretending, well, except on social media, Right? Or, or accept if they're of a different party, or accept if they hold terrible unchristian views, or accept if they're an atheist. But Jesus doesn't teach that. Right? He teaches a radical love, like he loved us. And it says clearly we are to love others as he loved us. Right? He loved us before we figured things out. And, and it's not because we figured out things that he loved us, right? It's by his grace that he loves us. And so we're supposed to be gracious and loving to others. And when we're not, he can see it. So whether we are following Jesus yet or not, whether we've trusted our life to Jesus or not, the human, the human problem of sin for the believer and the unbeliever is similar, right? right? We try to hide or distance ourselves from the reality of our God, to act and think and speak as if God doesn't see us. Or, or, or know our very thoughts and our intentions is what this scripture is saying, right? Doesn't hear our words when we chew somebody down in an unchrist-like way, right? We, we have this ability as human beings to have this psychological and spiritual disconnect in our lived reality from actual divine eternal reality. And this is, this is because God and God's sovereignty and God's wisdom, he wanted us to have free choices. He wanted us to have the experience of really discovering what is good and being amazed by his love and freely surrendering into it. But because we have that choice and that real lived experience, we can also choose to deny real eternal reality right? and pretend as if God doesn't exist and hide. And so this section today, it comes in part of Hebrews where, where the author is reminding us that Jesus came into human reality to fulfill the promise of bringing God's people into his rest, bringing people, whoever would receive it, into his rest. And, and, and that if we deny, if we deny his rest, Hebrews is 
really clear. It says there's really no hope for us to have his rest if we deny his rest. It's kind of that simple, right? For he is the one who has fulfilled the promises. He's the one, right? Hebrews has been clear. It's so beautiful. If you want, I, I encourage you to reread Hebrews as we go through it because it's, remember the first chapter, if you weren't with us or you were with us, here we go. He, he's the radiance of the glory of God, right? He's the exact imprint of his nature. He, he upholds the universe by the power of his word. He's greater than the beautiful, magisterial, amazing angels, right? He's greater than Moses who got to hold the Ten Commandments and throw them down at one point. He's, he's, he's greater than the Old Testament Joshua. He is the one who has fulfilled the plan. And so Hebrews is saying, so why would we hide from someone so great? Who are you fooling? <laughs> right? But I don't know about you. I do it. I'm not endorsing it here when I say that. I have done it. And I am likely to do it again. Right? I, I, in my human struggle, like Paul writes about in Romans 7, there's, there's a war being waged in my members. Christ has my heart and he's made me a new creation. But there, I feel that sin that Hebrews will later call that sin that so easily entangles, that's right there all the time. Like the devil who prowls at our door. There's, there's sin that right, is right there. Any moment you want to choose to deny God's reality and the presence of his spirit, you can right there. And you can enter into the false reality and you can tell yourself it's the real reality. Right? Well, I don't know about you, but I do. And that's why I need Hebrews. And that's why I need truth. I need truth that's outside of me, that's revealed truth from God that tells me the truth about myself. So that's what we hear in this message today, that, that the message... Or what Hebrews quotes here is a, in a word, the Greek, the logos, right? Which is also a word for Jesus. We're going to get into that. But this statement of God, this message of God that is living and sharper than anything on earth, that, that anything that can cut on earth in a physical way, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, God can cut right into us and get through the very being of us, exposing our true thoughts, our intentions, our motives that maybe we aren't even aware of, Right? Why was I angry with that person? Why am I willing to forgive that person but not that person? God can help you. God, God's helped me in these areas. Right? So God knows we need truth. We need the reality revealed to us. Right? And that truth can come incarnate in the flesh. Jesus is the truth. He says as much. And he is the word. The gospel of John says as much. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's talking about Jesus. He is the truth revealed to us. And then this scripture is the truth revealed to us in messages and teachings to help us see the truth as well. It's both and is what this section is saying. So God's word. God's word is truth revealed to us. So what is being referred to in verse 12 when it says the word of God is living active? This, this, the, the word for word, confusing here, but the word for word in the Greek is logos. All right? It's used over 300 times in the New Testament because it literally means something very common usually. Usually in the common sense, a literal meaning of it is word, statement, message, right? Now, in the Greek world, in the ancient Greek world particularly, and we can see it as a vestige of it in the word logic, logos, logic, but in the ancient Greek world, in the right context, this word that could be a really common word used for statement, okay, or word, literally, could be used as a big conceptual 
statement, right? Like Jesus is the word, capital T in a sense. He is the logic of the universe. He is the message uh, of the universe. He is the statement of God. Or, or maybe in a human sense, when you say, I give you my word. In, in Greek, it could be the same logos. And, and that's, that's a deeper meaning, right, than just word. When you're saying it in that context. Does that make sense? So we see both usages of this word, logos, in the New Testament. The big concept, the logic or message or truth of the universe or of existence itself being Jesus, that John in his gospel in chapter one says that Jesus is the word, right? But we also see it in many places in the New Testament where it just logos and log, or logos, however you want to say it, is just referring to a message, okay? So here in our section today, the author doesn't say clearly when he says the word of God is living and active. He doesn't say, is he talking about Jesus? Or is he talking about the Bible? Now, they didn't have the Bible bound as we have, Old Testament, New Testament. This, the New Testament was still being written and still being lived out when Hebrews was, was penned, right? So I, I, take, uh, I take the interpretation that this section is referring both to the word incarnate or word in the flesh, Jesus, the Son of God, and the message of God revealed through the scriptures over the ages that the church has been given as this gift of truth, that it's both and, and, and we can't really understand that separately. That's what I think. So, so how does Hebrews then, in this section, describe the word? Living and active. Did you, in the Greek, living and active, if that's your translation, that's actually one word in the Greek, and it's energus, or, or the root word for we get energy. Right? And, it, and, and we, it's not translated as energy uh, by any tran- many translations that I know of, because in the Greek, it's a richer word, so it's often translated into two words, living and active. It's one word, but, it, but often that happens in translation. It's, it, 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 it's alive. God's word is alive, and it, it moves. It does something. God is speaking to us through Christ and, and through the scriptures, and it's real and alive. It's not just an idea. It's not dusty. It's not just some concept. It's something that happens to you. You don't just read this book. This book reads you. You don't just study this book. If you really submit to it, it studies you. You don't just have a relationship with Jesus where I've been saying in this series where you put him in your heart. No, 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 no. You have a relationship where you come into Jesus and he reveals and exposes you to realities in society of you that you had no awareness of without his help. It is so sharp, right? Tomateros in the Greek. Sounds like tomato, but has nothing to do with tomato, okay? It's tomateros. It, it, it's sharp on both sides. Very sharp. What kind of sword? The, the, the word here for sword is makaira, and, 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 and this, this, in the Hebrew understanding, this was a small knife, and actually, the Jewish zealots, they carried, they were actually, actually nicknamed after this type of small sword. It was, you know, it was like a dagger-sized, two-edged sword, and it was often had a little curve to it. You could use it for butchering and home use uh, to, to, you know, to separate uh, bones from meat for an animal or whatever, but it was carried by the Jewish zealots. Jesus had a zealot on his team, right? Somebody that wanted to overthrow the Romans. And so what they would do is they would often carry these little dagger swords and they would go up in crowded places and sometimes they would just kill, slit the throat of a a Roman governing official. 
and then disappear into the crowd. And the sharp sword would just, the person would just die instantly, you know, bleed out. So th- th- this was a well-known tool and weapon of the day, right? But the way the author of Hebrews is saying it is, it is sh- sharper than that, sharper than any Machaira that could, that, could, that could kill somebody, that you could use to butcher any animal, way sharper than that. How sharp? Well, it's, it's this sort of truth that can discern reality tell you what reality is. And we need that, right? Discern in the Greek is kritokos, which is the root word for our word critique. Critique. God critiques you. And if you don't like that, go look for another God. There isn't one. But God critiques you. You don't get to critique God. A lot of people right now have that backwards, right? God is not a mean critique, but he does discern for you reality. Here's, Corey, where you could love your kids better. Here's where you're not receiving healing in your life. Here's types of entertainment that aren't particularly helpful to you. God, God wants to do and reveal things like that to us. He wants to surgically help us get rid of things, to show us thoughts or intentions that we may have inherited from two or three generations in our family that we just assume is normal, that's just how things go. We, we haven't seen another way, but God's revealed truth through the, through the witness of Jesus, through our relationship with him, through as we read the stories and the truth of scripture, we read it and say, does this have to be in my life? It's the way my parents were, you know, just kind of being bitter and sarcastic. But does this have to be? It doesn't seem like the way of Jesus, right? And he turns a light on, <laughs> in a corner of your heart where you didn't realize you even needed a light on. This is what the word of God does. He discerns deeply in us, deeper than we ever knew. He tells us things generally, he tells us things specifically. It pierces into us, pierces, or another translation has penetrating. The point is, if your faith is on the surface level, then you may be not really seeking to hear the word in Jesus and the word in scripture as you should. If it's been a long time where anything just was exposed to you that is deep about your motivations towards how you treat other people or how you have a relationship with God, if it's been a long time where you had an aha moment, then one of the things that needs to be exposed to you is maybe you're not giving God space enough to really let that happen because it's supposed to be how the word of God works in those who follow Jesus. It doesn't stay on the surface level. It, it, it penetrates. You know, the, the visual he's given to bone and marrow. Marrow was part of bone, right? How do you, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, but he, bone and marrow, joints and marrow. That's how it can be translated, but things that hold together, inner working parts, soul and spirit. You know, Christians spend time trying to academically understand and separate that when the reality is these are things we don't know really as how human beings to even visualize, let alone separate it. But God is God, we are not, and he can show us deeply things about ourselves that we can't see on our own. And he can then see knots in our soul that we don't even see as knots, that we've justified as okay behavior or okay attitudes. And he can say, no, that's a knot. 
and it needs to be cut out or untied, but it can't stay anymore if you want to be obedient. So humans, humans develop habits, right? Humans develop habits in our life as part of coping with life, how we do life, and over time, we just accept certain things as normal. Right? Some people in worship have accepted, I come to church, and oftentimes I think 70% about things outside of the worship service. That's some people's habits in worship. When God wants you to be 100% here. And part of practicing worship together is trying to learn how to be 100% present in this time together so that we're more present with God. But some people's habits is that you're, you're 70% not here. If that is your habit, maybe God's exposing it right now and saying, I can do something about that. I can help you learn how to be 100% present in worship or at least 1% better next time. Right? Okay, so it, it, the average American watches four hours or more of TV a day or internet videos. Is that what God's truth wants for us? And the Christian statistics are about the same as the non-Christian. We could go on and on. I could just spend a, I could spend a few minutes just railing on, on our, our habits that we say are okay, but let me just give the categories instead, and then God's Spirit will reveal to you what you need through His truth. Attitudes of money from the world or greed. Are we seeing God's ways of generosity, or are we just going along with the flow and have worldly attitudes with money and greed? Politics. The view of the church itself as the bride of Christ and that we should value each other deeply and beautifully. Do I have the Bible's view, Jesus' view of the church? Do I have Jesus' view of sexuality and my body, right? And, and respecting other people's bodies, or do I mistreat that in entertainment or so-called entertainment? So our path as followers of Christ is not a path that we get to forge on our own. And that's difficult for Western Americans in particular because literally our forebearers got to the West somehow. <laughs> they forged a path or followed paths that were difficult. But here's the thing in spirituality, that's not our job. Our job is to follow his path. You are not breaking ground. And if you are, or you ever read a book where somebody says they're breaking ground in Christianity, that's not the point. Our point is to be behind Jesus directly to get his dust on our face, so to speak. To get his, be in his footsteps. Following Christ's lead on things like money or politics or the church or sexuality, those things I mentioned. But we don't, our job is not to come up with ideas on this stuff and then ask Jesus if it's okay or even worse, don't ask him anything. The goal here is to learn from him and his way, his teachings in the gospel, his revealed truths in the scripture, and then allow him to correct us when it's not his way, when he reveals that in us. So the author of Hebrews is writing this letter because he's convicted that there are followers of Jesus that, that and some of them now, it's written in, if it's written in the 80s, 60s, they've been followers of Jesus maybe 20, 30 years, but that doesn't make them immune from this, Right? This, this temptation to drift away from following Jesus in his way, and they've been following Jesus in the movement for 20 to 30 years, but instead of getting closer and closer to looking like Jesus, they, they just have 20 years of, or 30 years of membership under their belt. And that's not the goal. 
The goal is every extra day we have on earth to, be, to, to live here is to become more like him so that we can share him with others, so that we can live in this restful, beautiful relationship. And the author knows, the author knows that if that is going to happen, it's going to take a striving. It's going to take getting up out of our, our hiding places and bolting for that which we know is home, which we know is true, which is Jesus himself and his inspired word. So we, it says, are exposed. It says we're naked, which is an uncomfortable thought for most of us, right? We, in public at least, but we, we are exposed. So we are, if we are followers of Jesus, God's word is telling us that nothing is hidden from his sight. We started earlier by saying that's logically easy to see. Thoughts and motives, yours, mine, intentions are known by him. Better by him than us. Jesus goes far deeper spiritually than an x-ray or a CAT scan can ever go physically. Far deeper, right? So some thoughts, some questions. When is the last time Jesus revealed something to you that needed to change in your life? Maybe it was this week. Maybe it was today. Maybe it's been a long time. Take a moment and think about it for yourself. When is the last time Jesus revealed something to you that needed to change? Could be small, could be big. Something you read in the scriptures and like, ooh, I don't do that. Or that's not my heart's attitude. When is the last time you confessed to the Lord a sin? Not that you just took the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for granted. Which, make me no mistake, his, his grace covers over sins. I, we believe that, but it also teaches us to confess. When's the last time you said in prayer to Jesus, forgive me? When is the last time you repented to another human being face to face for a word you shouldn't have said to them or a way you treated them? asking for forgiveness? When is the last time you thought to yourself, because surely God didn't see this, but when's the last time you thought to yourself, I know the Bible teaches me to love my enemies, but in my case, this person, or I know that Jesus teaches me to share good news with others, but I don't know any unbelievers, and that's really God's fault, I guess. You wouldn't say it that way because you're too good of a Christian. Yes. I know that Jesus teaches me to share good news with others, but I prefer to keep my faith private. I've opted for that version. I know that Jesus, Jesus teaches us to pray and to not give up praying and to pray for, for all kinds of people and situations, but that's hard. And I don't want to be disappointed anymore. I would like the easier version of following Jesus, please. I know Jesus says we will do all types of things he did. He even said that as a collective, we will do greater than he has done. But I am not really that interested in getting that serious about my faith. I'm kind of in this for what he's going to do for me, not what he's going to ask me to do for others. Leave that to John Kennedy or something. 
I know the word, I know the word says over and over again. It only uses the word Christian twice. I know the word says over and over again that I am a saint and that I'm totally forgiven, but I don't really believe he can forgive my filth and I'm just gonna live in shame because I know my sin and I'm hiding out because he's so good and I don't want to really admit it. We gotta bolt from all that stuff. We gotta just get up out of those hiding places that have become too comfortable or the ones that have got us anxious and say, but I don't wanna say I'm sorry. I, I, I feel so vulnerable. I don't, I don't wanna admit what I struggle with. Whatever it is, just bolt from it and run to home base. Strive is the way the scripture says. Therefore strive, therefore strive. If these things are true, true then strive. We know these ways are false. I'm not telling you anything here today that you don't know. Hebrews isn't telling you anything that's rocket science, right? These are counter Jesus ideas that will, will keep us creeping back to our, our non-eternal reality daily. Creeping back into hiding places instead of getting closer and closer to the sandals of Jesus and the dust of Jesus on our face. So we have to strive daily to run behind him. We have to strive to bolt out of our hiding places into the rest, the home base where we are actually free and fully at rest, right? That is the daily reality. Each day is a battle for our hearts. The battle has been won. It's all by grace. Because we're not talking about salvation. That's been done. But daily we have to strive to say, will I live in that rest? Will I bolt for home base today? when I feel that battle in my, my very body telling me to, to do things that are, that are not the intentions or the practices that Jesus wants from me. The good news, of course, is that Jesus has done absolutely everything necessary for us to live in his rest. His kingdom is available now. It's not one that we see. It's not about buildings and budgets and things. It's, it's a kingdom that's much greater and more beautiful than that. But in order to enjoy this kingdom and to live in this kingdom as home base, we must bolt from those things that keep us from hearing him in our lives. We must make space for him, silent prayer, times of worship, whatever it is. We must seek him above all other things and all other voices. We must prioritize his, his voice in real ways in our schedule, not just an idea of it. We must actually do it. We must prioritize him in our pocketbook, in our emotions, in our entertainment, in how we treat people, this is going to take real striving. Because this is all real. <laughs> it's a real battle. But the also very good news is we're not alone. We have the counselor and we have the body of Christ. The promised Holy Spirit, the counselor, the Holy Spirit that speaks through scriptures, the Holy Spirit that speaks through other believers that will say, oh, I know what it feels like to hide in shame too. I've been there. He still loves you. Come out of the dark. The good news is we are far from alone. The Spirit is closer to you than your very breath and the body of Christ is just waiting right here to love you and be with you, whatever we're hiding in. He is leading us to the better way to bolt from the ways of disobedience that so easily entangle us in this world. And he's offering us his perfect rest. Lord Jesus, thank you.
Therefore, let us strive to enter into your rest daily, today, tomorrow. Let us look to you. Let us hear your truth. Let us find the ways where we're not listening to your voice. And we ask you with your sharp, two-edged, loving sword of truth. Expose to us what you're wanting to. Help us to receive that and to follow after you and you, you alone as our leader. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you. And if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook or we are on uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at palousechurch.org to connect with me or to send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way and may God bless your day.